You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. What sort of images come up? What what pictures do you see or artwork have you seen before? Probably something like this. Does that look familiar? Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Nice meadow. I mean, they're in the Middle East, but there's a nice meadow. Um, Jesus is happy. The kids are all happy. They're all sitting patiently. No one's throwing anything at other, other kids. We've got a mixture of ages and race here. There's even a little goat or sheep down here that's also listening to Jesus. It's beautiful. Um, I found this by typing into Google Luke chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, and I clicked images, and this is the first one that came up. So it's highly likely that that's what you were thinking. Completely incorrect. It's not what was happening at all. Let's have a look at what was happening. So Jesus was standing there. He He was healing people. He was laying his hands on people and blessing them. And all of a sudden, we had parents coming up to him and thrusting their children at him. It would have been more like a a rock star scene where people were just trying to get to him. The parents didn't just send their kids off and just let them sit there at his feet. They were running at him. And it also says that they were infants. They were taking their infants to Jesus, hoping that he may touch them. We know that it's infants because the word that was translated to infant was the same word that they used in Luke, where they were talking about Jesus being swaddled in a cloth as a baby. And then again in Peter when he's talking about babies. So these are little nursing infants. And they're wanting to take these babies to Jesus. They saw value in taking their babies to Jesus. Now in the Greco-Roman world, infants were very low. They were valueless. One scholar actually said they're not adults. That's how he described them, not adults. And they had such little value that they were just abandoned. They were taken out and they were abandoned, often. It was huge. It was happening a lot. And that was actually one of the first major missions of the early church. They would go out and they would find these babies and they would look after them. They would save them. Now, why did they abandon them? Don't know. Maybe they didn't see any value. They actually said they didn't actually have any value till they were old enough to help out on the farm. That's when they became of value. They could actually work for their value. Maybe it was some sort of psychological advantage because um, obviously medical facilities were so bad and children would have been dying all over the place. Maybe they didn't want to become too attached. I'm not sure. Whatever it was, they didn't have value. And historically, Christians have viewed children differently. Christians have always loved children, generally speaking. We've been countercultural when it comes to kids. Even today, where one of the biggest problems we have with children is abortion. One of the loudest voices against abortion is the Christian community. Christians have always had a heart for children. And I wonder where that comes from. Why is it that a sinner who believes in God values children more than a sinner who doesn't believe in God? I believe it comes from Jesus' love for children. 
The way that he cared for children has impacted how we care for children. Now, the disciples didn't understand this love for the children. They didn't get it. They didn't quite understand yet. They'd been with Jesus for about two years by this point, but they still didn't quite get it. And they were telling the parents, no, you can't come to Jesus right now. Take your kids away. They were rebuking them. And then Jesus quite strongly rebuked his disciples. Mark's version of this story says that he was indignant. Not just bothered, not slightly annoyed. He was angry. He was rebuking them. So he was trying to make a point here. Why do you think he was doing this? Because he cared for the kids. He cared for them. All people mattered to Jesus. He wasn't too busy for them. He wasn't too tired for them. He actually didn't just take time for them. He made a priority to be with these children. Mark says that he took the child, he would take them in one hand, he would embrace them, he would lay his other hand on the child and he would pray for them, blessing them. Now the disciples were probably thinking, hold on, we have people around here who are sick. Jesus is known for healing the sick. Let's, let, let's save his time for the sick people, for the people who need healing. Why, why would we waste our time on a perfectly healthy baby? Nothing wrong with the baby. Why do we need to spend time? It's not, it's not that we don't want him to do it, but maybe his time would be better served elsewhere. But no, Jesus said, no, this is a priority to me. And he made it a priority. And the disciples probably should have seen this because scattered throughout the Old Testament, there are times where children have been made a priority. We look at um, one version, or one example up here, it'll be coming up in Joel. In Joel 2, the prophet Joel warned the people of God of the coming day of the Lord, calling them to a nation of repentance and faith. When he charges them, he says this, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. So the worshippers are being called forth. The trumpet is to blown and the people are to assemble. But who? Who is he asking to come forward? Is it the elders? Is it the adults? No, in verse 16 it says, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. All of the covenant people of God, including the children and nursing babies, are to assemble before him. He welcomes them. He wants them to be a part of it. We see the same picture in the Feast of Unleavened Bread from Exodus 13. When you gather before me, God says over and over, include your children. Bring them near that they too may be blessed. Children have always been a part of the Christian community. They've been expected to be a part of the community so that they can receive God's blessings, even the same as adults will. They're not barred from him. They don't have lesser status. Instead, they're invited into his presence to receive his blessings. 
Children have always been a part of God's grace and love. Now, Christ is not doing anything new here when he says, let the children come to me. Children are always going to be a part of the community of faith. They're allowed, they're encouraged, and they are wanted to come to God. And we would be silly or ignorant or even disobedient if we hindered the children from coming to God. So I need to be clear on what Jesus is not saying here as well. He is not saying that kids are without sin when he says that the kingdom of heaven are theirs. When Adam ate that fruit, we all fell. A newborn baby is born with sin. Children need the grace of God. As a parent, I know my kids sin. I see it daily, multiple times before six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) They're learning, they're trying, but they sin. They are sinful, just like we are. Now the children are bringing their infants to Jesus and they're wanting a blessing on him or her, on their child. They're wanting Jesus to bless them. But how can an infant understand what's going on? Or how can they receive this blessing as such a child, such a young child? Um, Jesus answers that every child or every person, no matter what their age, can receive the blessing of God. We see examples in the Bible, Jacob, he received a blessing while he was in his mother's womb. We see the example of John the Baptist being filled with the Spirit while he was in the womb. Does that mean he knows what is happening? No. Does he have an intellectual knowledge of that? No. But Jesus has chosen them, or God has chosen them, to bless them. So why is this possible? Why is it possible that children can be blessed by God? Simply because in Ephesians 2, it tells us that faith is a gift from God. It is a gift that he can dispense at his will to whom he chooses. So as we can see, God values children. He always has and he always will. So we should value children. And thankfully, we're a part of a church that does. So let's have a think. What can we do as parents, as grandparents, and as congregation members of this church to value children. Hopefully there will be some practical things that you can take away from this. Let's see what we can do. There's three things that we can do that we'll get to in a moment. I want you to be clear, there's nothing that we can do to cause our children's salvation. We cannot save our children but we can bring them to God. Like the parents who were physically bringing their children to God, we can bring our children to God. And it's like a garden. Think of a gardening scenario. We have the soil. We can fertilise it. We can water it. We can pull the weeds out. Whatever else you do to a garden. My garden is fence-to-fence grass, so I'm not sure. But I know that gardeners put a lot of time into preparing soil. 
Preparing the soil, not picking the fruit, they prepare the soil. A good gardener spends a lot of time. They can't choose which seeds are going to sprout, but they can do everything in their power to bring these seeds into a good environment. We need to be bringing our children and doing everything we can to bring them into God's presence. Will they be saved? Hopefully. That's not our choice. Our job is to bring them to God. So there's three things that will come up on the board, and I'm sorry the font is a bit small. Uh, Three things we can do to bring our children to God. We can bring our children to Christ by praying for them. We can bring our children to God by teaching them. And we can bring our children to Christ through including them in the activity of this church. This text encourages us to bring our children to Christ every single day through prayer. We should be like the parents who are racing to get to Jesus for his blessing. And we do that through prayer. We should be coming to Jesus every single day through prayer for our children. Job rose every morning and he offered sacrifices and prayers for every single one of his children. And it says that he did it continually. It was an act of perseverance that he continued to do it. Because how can we expect daily blessings for our children if we don't ask for them daily? Now, this isn't just a job for the parents. This is a job for the entire community. It's a well-known quote, I don't know who started it, that says, it takes a village to raise a child. And it's even more true for a church where it says it takes a congregation to raise a covenant child. As we bring our children into this place, we want them to feel something special here. We want them to experience God here. And that doesn't happen through the parents. It doesn't happen through the congregation. That's through Holy Spirit. But as a church, we can be supporting these kids We can be valuing them. So if you have children who are already grown up or you are still young and you don't have children or you were never able to have children, whatever your scenario, you can be praying for the children of this church. Imagine the power of prayer if every person here or even half the people here made it a commitment to pray for the children in this church. If we had a list of our children's name and you prayed for them every day, imagine the power of that. Just because you don't have kids who are two foot tall right now does not mean that you can get out of raising these kids. This is a group effort. So we need to be praising and praying for these children daily. The second way is to bring our children to Christ by teaching them. Now, this one can seem a little bit harder because when you have such small children, their comprehension isn't so good or their patience isn't so good. So how do we do this? Um, One very simple way, a very simple way of teaching your children is to just open the Bible with them and read a passage. After dinner, take the plates away, stay at the table, Read a passage with them. Now, fathers can be quite zealous at this, and they might say, fantastic, 
We're going to Leviticus. We're going to read eight chapters. And there'll be a 10-question test tomorrow. Don't do that. Make it simple. They're kids. Make it simple. Let's just fill them with the Word of God. Really simple stuff. Talk about a parable. Read a story about a miracle Jesus did. You don't even have to explain it. Just let it touch the kids and let God do his work. Now, I know there's going to be people here who have done this their whole life. They brought their kids to church each week. They read their Bible to them. They prayed with them every night. They were doing this, yet their children are not saved. That would be so hard, and I hope my kids come to Christ when they get older. It would be tragic for me if they didn't. I get that that would be hard. But just because they are older, it does not mean they will not come to know Christ. Those times you prayed with them, the times they sat here in these pews and they listened to the pastor preach, they are seeds that have been planted. You fertilized that soil. You watered it. Continue praying for them and hopefully they will come to know Christ. We need to be hearing, or our children need to be hearing us encourage each other. They need to hear us talking about God in day-to-day life, not just here in the auditorium, but every day. They need to be hearing us encouraging our spouse or our, our siblings or whoever it is. They need to be hearing us. They need to hear us encourage each other. They need to hear us praying for each other and with each other. We need to surround these kids with the Holy Spirit. Intellectually, they will not understand it. But that does not mean God is not moving. That does not mean that a blessing cannot come on these children. Finally, the last thing. I remember a long time ago, Christmas lunch every year. The table was very long, but there was definitely a higher table followed down to a lower table. It was the adults and the kids. And as a child, you want to be at the kids' table, but as you're growing up, you want, to, you want to upgrade. You want to move up. You want to transition to the adult's end. They look like they're having so much fun down there. For some reason, they get the jokes in those, whatever they're called, bonbons. Um, they're having a good time, and I wanted to upgrade to that. And I remember the year my brothers upgraded to that table. They were a few years ahead of me. They looked like they were having fun. They didn't look down our end of the table. They were, they were too busy with the fun. And I thought one year, I think I'm there. I think I've matured. I think I'm ready. I'm the same age my brothers were when they upgraded. But it didn't happen. I was still at the kids' table. I was on the edge of the kids' table, but I was still at the kids' table. Now, practically, I know that's because physically there weren't enough seats. There wasn't enough room. I had to sit there. But I was thinking, hang on, I want to be part of that. Why am I left out of the adults' table. That looks fun. I should be a part of that. We need to make sure that when we have our children here, they are not hindered from getting to God. We need to make sure that they feel God's presence. Not because we've told them to go out into another room because they're noisy, but because they need to be here. They need to experience God. Now, this is one of the hardest things as a parent. I remember when we first had our, child, our first daughter and I was talking to some people who had been through the experience of young kids and they said, yeah, it's actually really hard 
you basically don't participate in church for the first few years because one of you will have to sit out the back. <clears throat> that sounded terrible. I didn't want to take a few years off church. So we made sure that we brought our kids in. But then every single noise they make, you're worried that other people are bothered. And you know what? Other people might be bothered. They might. Our kids are going to run when they're not meant to run. They're going to make paper planes out of the welcome cards. They're going to draw in the guest book. They're going to do things that bother us. Not saying those things are right, but they're going to happen. They're kids. A month ago, Haley made 20 paper planes. Today, she's only made three. That's progress. We're getting there. <laughs> Less damage to the church. But we need to make sure our kids are here. <clears throat> they need to be in this place experiencing what we experience. Not because we want them to, but because God has asked them to be here. He wants them to be here. They have to understand what we're doing in here. Now, that may be hard. That may be, I had Chelsea just before asking me, why are you drinking juice? And I had two choices. I have one, I can tell her, oh, just, shh, just quiet, we'll talk about it later. Or I can use that opportunity to teach her. And so we talked about it. She was talking a little louder than I wanted her to, but we talked about it. Now, there could have been people around me who were bothered by that. But this was a little child wanting to know about God. This is where they learn about him, because they're not learning about him in their schools. This is where it happens. It's with the adults in their life. Sometimes you will go home from church, whether you're the parent or not, you'll go home from church and you'll feel like you've been in a wrestling match with someone one-tenth the size of you and you've lost. It's depressing. It's hard. You get in the car and you don't even want to talk to your spouse. You almost just go home and you plunk and you think, is it worth it? It's hard. I get it. We're there most weeks. But do you know what? Whether it was hard for me or not, my children experienced God that morning. I have no idea what they heard from up here, what might have touched them, what might have spoken to them. I have no idea if that's going to come back to them in five or ten years. No idea. But these are planting the seeds for our children's future. So is it worth it? Yeah. It's worth putting up with a child dancing in the aisle so that they can experience God, just like we experience God in here every week. It's so encouraging to me when I hear the children talking to each other about a Bible passage or a story that we've read. I had my younger daughter, oh sorry, my elder daughter here singing before and she was way off key but it was the most beautiful sound I've heard. I felt sorry for the people around me. It was, she was way off. Um, but yeah, it was beautiful. God has asked us to bring the children in here. And what I love about this church is that we are so welcoming of children. Yes, we have to shut the gate now. That's a pain, I get it. 
yes, we have now spent some money building a brand new playground, but these are things that show our kids that you have value. These are things that show our kids that we want you to be a part of our group. One of the most beautiful pictures I see is when one of the people of this congregation, one of the adults, are talking to a child, just one-on-one, -on -one, just asking them about their day, how is school? And my kids, I mean, my kids are lucky. They have grandparents, they have very supportive grandparents, but they now have a wide range of people of different ages and of different backgrounds that can input into their life. God values children, and so we need to value children too. How precious children are in the eyes of the Lord, and how precious they must be to us. So let's keep bringing these kids to Christ. Let's keep bringing them in here. Let's encourage them. Let's talk to them. Let's pray for them. Let's teach them. <clears throat> 